0: Because great leaders will produce great results.
1: All right, welcome back to our Becoming Your Best podcast listeners. This is your host, Rob Schallenberger, and I hope you are having a great day in the world wherever you're at. If you're not, this is your lucky day because uh, I have a great guest and this is going to make your day better. (laughs) So I'd like to introduce Stephen Griffith. I just met him recently and a good friend of mine, Danny Brazil introduced us. And, you know, I had an initial conversation with Stephen and he's one of those people you just hit it off with really quick and very easily, very personable, very real, very down to earth. I thought, you know, he would be a great person to have on our podcast. And, you know, for you listening, you've got to know that we probably have three to five people per day that want to be on our podcast. And so we're very selective in who we invite on because we want to add value to your lives. We want to make these 20 to 30 minutes that we have together each week, you know, really productive, really high. And I say high, filled with value. And so I felt like Stephen could be one of those people and he, and he certainly, I was very impressed with him the first time we met a few weeks ago. So with that being said, we're gonna jump right into this. Stephen has an impressive background. He's played college football. He's coached athletes and coaches all over the United States world, written several books. He's one of those people that has an amazing, illustrious background. And so with all of that said, first of all, Steve, welcome to the show. And just tell us a little bit
2: about you, your background, and who you are. Sure. Thanks. Thanks for having me on, Rob. Born and raised in Chicago, been in here in California for about the last 25 years. I've been a performance coach for about that same amount of time for businesses, coaches, athletes, entertainment people, and just really helping them be their best, be their ultimate best. And in my work, I call it being and executing their A game being at their best. So that's what I do. Yeah. So we're going to talk about that A-game
1: coaching. And here's the thing about this, for those listening, when we talk about this, this isn't just for parents or just for student athletes or just for coaches. This is for all of us. You know, this is really about high performance in our lives. How do we take where we are today and make it better? I'm sure he's going to share specific things related to parents, but really, these are things that apply to all of us in different walks. So let's jump right into this, Stephen. And first of all, tell us, what are the core concepts that make up the A-game. When you say the A-game, you know, what are we talking about? And what are the core concepts around that?
2: Well, the A-game by my simple, simple definition to begin with is giving your best to perform your best. And how do we consistently do that? So when we're talking about athletes, parents, coaches, it's this concept of mindfulness, self-compassion, how to develop an optimistic mindset, and how to communicate effectively. And to be focused on what really matters, going to your work, you know, do what what matters most is getting parents, kids and coaches focusing on with attention, with their time to perform at their best, to perform at their best.
1: You know, and let's expand on this a little bit, Steven. So
2: you're a big guy, right? You played football. What position did you play again? I played tight end. Yep. Tight end. And, and how tall are you? Six five, about no. Nah, I'm shrinking a little bit. I'm probably six four. Rob, getting older, about two forty, and I was also an amateur boxer. So two two athletic things.
1: Yeah. So I think that him and I can see each other, you know, while we're talking. But I know that people listening obviously can't. But I want you to picture this this big guy, muscly, but yet we're talking about things like mindfulness, self compassion, and I love what you said when you and I talked a couple of weeks ago, Stephen. Prior to this is. Sometimes there's appears to be this disconnect, you know, here's this big guy, ex-football player, boxer, yet he's talking about self-compassion and mindfulness. And so maybe expand on that a little bit, you know, because whether we're an athlete or not, this is a big thing. Post-COVID, I know there's been a lot of anxiety amongst people, a lot of depression issues coming up, and this isn't a topic that people used to talk about a whole lot. So why is self-compassion, you know, and mindfulness the key to high performance,
2: Great question. And and it's something, as you said, is, is starting to get talked about. I've been in this field for about 10 years studying mindfulness, traveled to Japan, Thailand, worked with a lot of the ancient philosophies. But mindfulness in my work is just being present to where you are right now. We're in a world of massive distraction. The research says that our mind is wandering 50% of the time. So the more we can be present right here, right now, in the moment, the more we can connect to our talents, our gifts, we can be of service, and we can perform at our highest. You know, I read in your book where you quoted something about, I think it's multitasking, like 20 some minutes to come back to your task. And this is happening at micro levels for kids, parents, executives. So the more we can be here now, fully present, the greater relationships we have, the more creativity, the higher performance. And so I have a quote that is, the the more present you are, the higher you perform. And that's really the core foundation of where I start my work from. Now, the part about self-compassion, this is where I'm most excited about. And uh, it's something that I was introduced by Kristen Neff and Mark Germer, who are the top researchers in the world on self-compassion. So I was in a training about two years ago. And all, all of a sudden, I heard this, Rob. I heard, and it improves performance. It was almost like, like a side comment. And this is a two-day seminar, and I was like, improve performance. What? And so here's what we know from the research, and then I'll define it a little bit. People that are more self-compassionate, have more grit, have more resilience, will take more positive risk towards what they want and they recover faster from upset. Oh yeah, I totally believe that. Yeah, and so you know, what is self-compassion? So as a man, as you talked about in a football player and and when I first heard this, I'm like, what is this soft stuff? Give me a hug, it's all gonna be okay. (laughs) And I'm just being really honest. I was like, nothing that I thought would be for me. But as I started really looking at it, at the topic, It's all about being in your own corner, being there for you in the face of adversity, setbacks, and upsets. So they did this exercise. I think it's really important to to talk about. They said, how would you talk to a friend that had an upset or were going through a tough time? So they had you kind of visualize how you would do it. Now, they said, now, how would you talk to yourself with that same problem? And I was like, oh, my I thought about the language I was saying to myself, like, this shouldn't be happening to you. You're better than this. Get over it. And I had a little bit of shame come up, like thinking about like, how come I can't handle it? And so as they started talking about the concepts with what I'll share with you right now is that number one, self-compassion is being that coach in your corner, but also being kind to yourself while you're suffering, while you made a mistake. So the three steps to self-compassion are really simple. First, it's mindfulness. Mindfulness just is being present to actually what's going on. Wow, I'm having a difficult time. You know, a lot of times as high performers, we just keep pushing forward. We don't even acknowledge that we're struggling, right? So that's the first thing. The second component is what they call common humanity. And man, this rocked my world, Rob, when I heard this. And common humanity is understanding that what you are going through, other people are going through now or have, you're not alone. Because I will tell you in my athletic career, I would always isolate myself like, man, this is just me. I'm defective. And the reality is we're all suffering, all going through tough times, especially after this pandemic. And so the third process to the self-compassion formula is then self-kindness, either in words positive words to self and actions. And when we put those three together, we start developing a reservoir of grit, resilience, and the willingness to know, hey, you know, if I totally go for it and I don't make it, I'm going to be kind to myself. It's going to be okay. And so when you start building this this concept of self-compassion, we just start going for it in a bigger way. You know, I love what you said there, Stephen, just to build on that a little bit. I've been
1: really fascinated in the last couple of years, three or four years, with neuroplasticity in the brain. My mom had early onset Alzheimer's. She passed away six months ago from that. Our listeners have heard me share some of those experiences. And so I've really been fascinated with the brain. And it's been interesting. You know, there's been so much research on this and whether the numbers are exactly right or not, I don't know. But they say the average person thinks between 50 to 70,000 thoughts per day. 90% of those thoughts are repetitive. Family, work, exercise. It's the same thoughts over and over. And yet here's the... Kicker 70% of our thoughts tend to be negative. So we're repeating this same negative cycle day after day. And that makes self compassion difficult, I think, for a lot of us. You know, regardless of what titles we hold or job positions or whatever, it seems like there's an internal battle going on in almost everyone at some point in our lives that, that we will all face. And it's a very real thing. And I love the advice you gave. And I hope people caught that, Stephen, because this is something I read in a book not long ago. And this really resonated with me, like it did with you. And that is, would we talk to other people the same way we talk to ourselves? Yes. You know, there's this mother who had an accident with her daughter. She felt responsible. And so her self-talk was, I'm a horrible mother. My daughter will never be the same. It was your fault. And when asked, well, is this how you would talk to someone else who you were counseling if it was another mother that went through the same thing? No, I would tell her, you know, it wasn't your fault. You know, there's still life. beyond." I would counsel and comfort her. Well, why do we do that? And so I love what you just brought up there, Stephen. And I hope we're all reflecting on how do we internally talk with ourselves? What does our own self-compassion look like? So I, I think that was a
2: great value add that, that you shared right there. Rob, if I want to add one more, one more thing, I, I forgot Absolutely. one of the most, impo- one most important things about this. When we're more self-compassionate to ourselves, the research shows we're more self-compassionate to others. Hmm. So when our tank is full, right? We actually can give more of that. We're more kind, we're more patient, we're present. And that's just like icing on the cake for all of it.
1: Yeah. You know, on the positive or negative, I, I'm sure you, you can relate to this, Even We all can. I'm more snippy and short tempered with people when I'm not, you know, in the best place myself. Yes. When I'm in a good place and I'm having that self-compassion. I really feel good about my situation where I'm at the day. Man, isn't that true that we're so much more compassionate towards others? Uh, Absolutely. Yeah, very, very true. I love that. You know, I had I had another couple of thoughts or questions that I wanted you to talk about here. Let's shift the playing field a little bit to student athletes, parents, coaches. If you're not in that category, you're great. You know, keep in your mind that this applies to all of us. But, you know, really focusing on that group, there's a large segment of our population that are in that category. Either they have children, they have student athletes, whatever. So related to that particular group, what are some of the biggest challenges that you see facing student, athletes,
2: parents, coaches today? The first thing, and this relates to everyone as as we're talking about this, is distractions. We're in a world that's so different now that there's a constant distraction of the phones getting our attention. So the ability for all people, especially student athletes, to stay focused That is one of the biggest things. And along with that is this huge impact of social media messaging. The outside world telling a young person who they should be, how they should act, and what values they should have. And this combination can be really challenging without great guidance because we're not fully present to what, what and who we truly are. Now we have influences on the outside of social media where 95 to 95 percent of all social media posts are showing this kind of fantasy world that everything's great. And so we have a distorted value system going on that it can be really challenging for young people, and on top of that, this idea that everything's instant. This person's instantly successful. This person automatically, you know has got 10 million followers or whatever it may be. And the reality is, life doesn't work that way it's hard work. It's grit. It's resilience. It's putting your time in. And so I think those are some of the, the challenges that are happening right now.
1: It's always easy to
2: see the end game, isn't it? You know, you see someone and you're like, oh,
1: you know, look at them. They're so successful. Kobe Bryant, like him or not, he had what he called the mama mentality, right? Yep. Continually out there, outperforming, out practicing, out hustling, out working, you know, many of his peers being there at four in the morning and shooting a hundred three-pointers, until he actually makes 100 three-pointers. So 100%, I, I see that all the time. If you don't mind, Steve, I'm going to ask you a question here that there's probably a lot of opinions out there, but you sure. mentioned some things that are really key, and I would just like to get your perspective on these. Social media, what's your opinion on social media for youth?
2: It's a love-hate relationship for me. I'm a little bit more old school. Like I'm in my 50s now. And so I didn't grow up with it. I think it's a great platform from a business perspective to have your message out there. But the amount of viewing and reflection, especially for young people, is it takes them out of their own life. I mean, it's hours these kids are on Facebook and especially Instagram. So they're spending their time not working on their craft, not working on their school. Not, they're spending that time viewing other people's lives, every minute of that is a minute away from self-investment to be the best version of themselves and be their a game. And so I don't think it's wrong or bad. You know, I just spoke to hundred parents in Phoenix uh, of athletes. And, and the first question the parents had was how do I create an environment that's stable and supportive for my kids? You know, that's a big question. And I just said to them, first thing is be present. The more present you are as parents, the more you can listen, reflect, and support. And then the the talk about distractions. The coach that ran this event, I had a group of kids for the first hour and then the parents for the second. And I love what he did. He goes, all the kids in the room, put your phones in the back of the room. And I will tell you, 13, 14, and 15-year-olds for one hour were locked in. Now, I like to say I'm a great presentator and all that stuff, but I will tell you a big reason they were locked in is they had nothing to distract themselves with.
1: Yeah, that's interesting. You know, I'm just thinking about that. And right or wrong, one of my observations, and and I actually really like what you said right there, Stephen, it's about creating the conditions, you know, as the parent being present with our children, we can't expect something of them that we're not willing to offer or give ourselves. And so, you know, from a parenting perspective, this could be a manager in a company too, right? Team member being present, you know, I'll throw one more observation on there. I talk with a lot of parents as you do all over the country. And oftentimes as we talk about parenting, I'll ask, well, what's your, what's one of your biggest regrets? And again, not right or wrong. I'm not going to say right or wrong because every situation is different, but across the board, the number one answer is getting their kids a smartphone too soon. Wow. Wow. And, wow. you know, I think there's just a lot of reasons for that social media, the outside influences, who becomes their role models via social media, the distraction that you've just talked about. So, you know, that's at least worth thinking about as a parent is those are tough questions you've got to answer. When are you going to introduce those things into their life? How do you bring that in? Because I think if you look at us as parents and we're honest, I think most of us do the same things that we get on our kids for. We're distracted we're Uh, on our uh, phones way too much. Absolutely. Absolutely. So it's easy to look at our kids, but the reality is, you know, looking right here at ourselves, which leads me to a term that I love that you use. You're the first person I've ever heard use this term. And I really liked it.
2: Timefulness. (laughs) Yeah. So this came out out of just my work in working with individuals and, and the mindfulness work, you know, so mindfulness is by definition, being present, aware, Without judgment, a general definition. So, timefulness is being present and aware and intentional with your time. And so, to be really present to where am I spending my time? And especially with like student athletes for all of us, time is our most valuable resource, right? You wrote about it in in your book, Do What Matters Most. And it's like, okay, this is a finite, limited source. And where we're investing this time is the difference of what our legacy is. People don't think about it like that. They're thinking like, oh, today, each one of these days becomes who we're being and is what's going to be our legacy. And so when I work with young people and and their parents, it's, it's saying, okay, here's the amount of time you have. How are you going to invest it? And when you invest it, how are you going to focus it to improve your performance, right? Like you can do something, not really focusing on improving over time, or you can spend 30 minutes going, you know what, I'm going to work on my swing or my jump shot, very focused. So this concept of timefulness is, you know, a core component of working with kids to get them present that it's the greatest thing you can invest for your A game.
1: Yeah, I couldn't agree more with that. So let me talk two more specific questions with you. I can't believe we're already this far into the podcast, uh, <laughs> two more questions. I want to, I want to talk specifically for those who are parents out there listening, this is going to be for you. And I'm going to give you a follow-on question right now to think about in the back of your mind while you're answering this. So I'm going to ask you to multitask while being present. Awesome. (laughs) I love it, Rob. (laughs) Timefulness, right? So here's my question is what are some things parents can do right now to support their kids' success? So we've talked about, you know, the being present, the self-compassion, which hundred percent, I think everyone would agree with, especially after hearing you explain it in that context that you did. If you're like me, I love to hear a couple of how-tos, like what can I actually do? And then I think about it and say, what if I can actually do that and apply those? So that's my first question. The second one is, if you wouldn't mind, Stephen, and I'll come back to this, you know, and remind sure. you what the question is so you don't have to remember it in your in your mind. I'd love it if you could share a challenging experience in your life that really shaped you into who you are today. And the reason I I, I want to ask that question is because sometimes when you get someone who's been really successful, I think it's easy to make a perception like, oh man, they have their act together. They've got it all doped out. They can't relate to me. <laughs> sure, sure. And what I've really learned is that no matter who the person is, everyone has their challenges and trials. They come in all different shapes and varieties. What maybe one person's another person has something else. But just maybe keep that in the back of your mind as a follow-on question. Let's talk about that before we wrap up. Some challenge that you yeah. have that shaped you into who you are today. But let's go back to this first one. For the parents listening, what are some things they can do to support their kids'
2: success? Okay. So the number one question I get when I talk to parents is how do I communicate, connect, and give my, my son or daughter feedback? It is the number one. So after a game or something academically where they had a challenge and most parents, no judgment here, but my experience is most parents want to teach and preach right away. So kid comes off the field court. I call it the drive home conversation. Okay. (laughs) Which we've all had. We know everybody, by the way, what, what I'm going to coach and talk about, I've screwed up a (laughs) hundred times. So I, am not telling, I'm not here saying I'm perfect. Right. Uh, Um, So the first thing that we've got to do after an event or situation is to actually listen. And I did a, a demo with a parent this last weekend And I said, let's demo. How do you do it? And she goes, well, as soon as he gets in the car, I tell him, you know, he should have done this and he should have done that. And and I go, hmm, okay. So are you open for another way? She's like, sure. I said, so the first thing is think about what just happened for your son. Just get in his shoes for a minute. Did he have a good day? Did he make an error? Did he have a struggle? Get into his shoes and what may be his emotional condition before you start teaching and preaching? That's number one. And then I have a three-step process. It's real simple. Then ask him or her, what went well in the game? So let's talk about what went well. Let's focus on, you know, what went well. That's number one. Number two, what were any challenges you had or any places where can we can learn and grow from? So we started with the positive. Now we're opening up some dialogue to see what happened. Where can we learn? And then number three, Rob, what can we do together to help you get better? What can we do together to help you get better for the next time? That allows a young man or young woman to be seen, to be heard, and to be emotionally connected to and have the sense that their parent is in their corner. And we get so excited. We want our kids to succeed. We want our employees to succeed. This is the same conversation I use across the board. But if we can just press pause, zip our mouth, (laughs) For a moment and just listen first. It changes everything.
1: You know, it's funny as you're talking, I'm just thinking about we have four kids for those who don't know me, and our oldest is 19, a boy, and then we have three girls. And I'm almost just laughing as you're talking about this in a good way because I think we've all tested both sides of this coin. (laughs) Right. I remember when my son was like 12 or 13, I was the parent running out there, you know, from the sideline, giving directions, yelling, engaged. You know, he'd jump in the car and, hey, Robbie, here we go. You know, I I liked your drive home analogy. That's exactly what it was. And we've had a lot of these conversations between my wife and I. And over the years, we really made a lot of changes more towards what you're talking about right there is, you know, what were some of your wins? What went well? What are some other areas that you thought could have been improved? And it's really interesting because our observation is that the more we listen like that, obviously, we had more open conversations. The truth is they know they're already hard enough on themselves. They don't need us as the parent to jump in and tell them when we ask our son those questions, he'd be like, he didn't even go to the positives first. He'd go right to the negatives, you know, this, this, this. So we didn't have to come back and reiterate, well, what were your successes? What did go well? And we really had some good conversations from that. And I was way less stressed too. Yes, (laughs) yes, yes. Just a month ago, I chuckled because I still remember this. We're at a soccer game for my daughter and I'm on silent. I watched this dad over there just going at it. And I'm like, I just chuckled inside. I'm like, there I was eight years ago. You need to relax, buddy. It's not worth it. <laughs> but uh, anyway, so you, you said there, Stephen, I love that. Yeah. Do you, mind if we, uh, do you mind if we jump into that last question that I talked about, you know, sure. a challenge that you've had that has really shaped your life and had a big impact on you becoming who you are today?
2: You know, when you asked that, I had in the back of my mind, you know, because there's a lot of challenges. Like you said, you know, you see what you think is a polished presenter, coach. And I think like you, telling the stories of vulnerability opens up the dialogue to be real with people and that life is a struggle and we can get over it. So quick story is this. So graduated high school, wanted to be a college football player. I was a tall, skinny kid. They called me the giraffe. I was like 6'3", about 170 pounds. So I went to a junior college, and my desire was to get a Division One scholarship. So the second season, Rob, I tore my hamstring in front of a, a crowd, full crowd of scouts. I still got that Division One scholarship. I went to Western Michigan. On the first day of spring practice, I tore my hamstring again. Took a year off, transferred schools, played a season. And then on my pro timing day as a senior, I ran the fastest 40-yard dash I ever ran and tore my other hamstring crossing oh. the finish line. Three coaches, three years, three schools, three torn hamstrings. I thought my life was over. All I wanted to do was be a professional athlete. And I remember laying on that track with the hot asphalt on my body. I'm going, there's nothing else for me to live for. There really isn't. And I actually rehabbed another year, came back, changed positions. And about two weeks into the season, I woke up in two days in my bed. and I didn't want to go to practice anymore. And what I realized, Rob, all these years, I wanted to be successful. And I had made a decision at about a 10-year-old, and I was about 23 at the time, that uh, it was going to be football. And it literally was one of those moments where like, you've been climbing that ladder of success, Stephen, and it's on the wrong wall. I retired that day from football. And those trials and tribulations, three torn hamstrings, did one thing for me. A, it developed an immense amount of grit and that ability to go for what I want. And so I became a coach in the physical world first, and then, you know, doing what I'm doing now on the mental and performance side. I never knew that those three hamstrings would have me in a podcast with you today. And I'm grateful that I kept going, and I'm grateful to allow other opportunities to show up, and that I could change the direction and who I thought I was, that I was more than an athlete. Because ultimately, when I'm working with parents and coaches and kids, their athletic career is going to end and they're going to have a ju- the rest of their life ahead of them. And so that's my story on that.
1: Yeah. I love that,
2: man. What a story of grit.
1: That reminds me, you said torn hamstring. I don't know if you've ever heard of Derek Redmond or not mm-hmm. back in the nineties. He was from uh, great Britain. He was running the 400 meters favored win gold. You know, everybody thought he's going to set an Olympic record. He was just the man that, that time around this Olympics. Well, it was his turn to run all his pre-event runs, all his his trial runs, if you will. He did set Olympic records. So he goes into the 400 meters and halfway around the track, he falls and he tears his hamstring, which is why that story came in my mind. And the video is so awesome. It's on YouTube. You know, he lays there for a second, everybody goes on past him and then he jumps up and he continues to hobble around the track and his father comes out and runs with him. And then they cross the finish line together, you know, not even close to first, he's just finishing the race. Yep. And everybody in the stands is cheering him on 65,000 people all standing out of their feet, cheering him on. And I was doing a seminar, a training down at Dell in Texas, Dell computers. Mm -hmm. And there was a manager in the back and she raised her hand and she said, I was on the U S Olympic swim team. And I was there in the stadium that day that that happened. Wow. And she said, there wasn't a dry eye around us, all these people from different cultures. And here's the point of the story. It's really to support what you just said. I don't know that anybody hardly remembers who finished that race first that day. It was that event that shaped Derek Redmond's life for the rest of his life. He went on to become a speaker throughout Europe. He wrote a book about never giving up. And so while in that exact moment where he felt the tear of the hamstring, he probably thought, man, there goes the gold medal. There goes everything I've ever worked for. Hmm. But who knew that it would lead to such an amazing blessing and such a different career path in his life that he had never imagined. Who knew that you tearing your three hamstrings or I should say your hamstrings, those three separate times, yep. like you mentioned, would lead to the current place where you're at now, having written books and coaching parents and teams. And I think that's a great reminder for all of us that while we're in the middle of something difficult, sometimes it's hard to see where that may lead to. And we think, yeah. oh man, you know, that's the end. <laughs> How did I go through this? But that is such a great reminder for all of us that no matter what we're facing, it will in the end work out for our good. As long as we don't quit, you know, as long as we use that grit that you alluded to. So, yes. you know, Stephen, thank you so much for being here. Any final thoughts for our listeners that you would like to share?
2: I think the last thing in, I share this with parents, I said, you know, especially when I'm room with parents, I said, you know, you're, you're all in here and you want great things for your kids. You want a scholarship, you want them to be champion, but I will remind you one thing. It is not the scholarship or the championship that's important. It is who your young men and women are becoming in the grid and the follow-through to get there. It's not the championship. It's who they're being carved out to become. Oh, what a great piece to end on. Stephen, I know there's gonna be some people who would like to find you. How
1: do they find you? You have a website?
2: StephenGriffith.com is the, is the best way to reach
1: me. Okay, yeah, StephenGriffith.com. Check it out. He has numerous different books that you can look at, The Time Cleanse and several others. And hopefully you've gotten some ideas listening to this like I have. One of the things that I loved about Stephen when I first met him a few weeks ago, just like I started this podcast with, is he's so genuine and so sincere. And I Mm -hmm. hope that you've been able to sense that, you know, through the radio or however you're watching or listening to this, is he's so genuine and so sincere. And that really comes across. And, you know, he's talking about things like self-compassion, being present and grit. And these are all things that we can reflect on in our lives. And, you know, you used word right at the end, Stephen, if you don't mind, I'm going to come back to that you know, we use this title becoming your best and we purposely didn't use the term become your best. Mm. And what a great way that you ended this podcast, Stephen, with that term. It's not about the scholarship. It's not about all these other things. It's about who is that person becoming as a person in the process and anything else to get on top of that icing on the cake, right? But who are we becoming in the process? So Stephen, again, thank you so much for being here. StephenGriffith.com to all of you out there. We hope you have a great day and a
0: wonderful rest of your week. Thank you for listening. Would you like help to apply the 12 principles of highly successful leaders in your life, in your family, or in your organization? Call us today at 888-690-8764 to speak with a helpful representative to evaluate your situation and how we can help. Or you can visit becomingyourbest.com. Whether it's a corporate training event, keynote, workshop, trainer certification or personal coaching it would be our pleasure to serve your needs once again call 888-690-8764 or visit becomingyourbest.com today